This is episode 115 of the IDRA Class Notes Podcast. In our culture, throughout the years, we've been through a lot. Everybody's story is different, and yet we have similar stories. It's not been easy for many of us, but in the long run, if you set yourself a plan, if you know that you're going to work hard, if you know that you have education as a goal, kids are going to be able to make that transition. They're going to be able to go through those grades. And then when they start to get into high school, you really start to look at what does it take to get to college. Hello, hola, I'm Frances Guzman with the Intercultural Development Research Association, and we are very pleased to bring you today a podcast featuring Maria del Rosario Castro, whom we fondly call Rosie Castro, our keynote speaker in TABET, Texas Association for Bilingual Education 40th Anniversary Conference here in San Antonio, whose theme was celebrating our culture, our language, and our community. Rosie's topic deals with bilingual education paving the way to college for all of our students. And while Rosie is is not an unknown figure in San Antonio, most of the state and the country knows her as a Palo Alto administrator, one of our local colleges, as well as a political activist from way back in the 70s when she was one of the first female Latinas, Chicanas, to run for city council and was instrumental in getting uh, single-member districts here in San Antonio. So without further ado, we'd like to introduce Rosie and her theme of bilingual education paving the way to college. Gracias y buenos buenos días. Uh, It's really great to see everybody here. You remind me very much of when I was a younger mother. Uh, and I would go to conferences or workshops or anything that I could to make sure that I had a good education and to make sure that I was able to help my sons as they were growing up uh, and had their careers in education. Let me thank, first of all, IDRA, whom I've worked with for a long period of time because they do such excellent work in the community. And then also our conference host, uh, Tabe. You being here today speaks more than anything for your children and to your children because today you've made an investment in your children's education and your children's future. You being here today speaks more than words could ever do. And one of the things that I discovered as a mother, that there's a lot of lectures you can give your kids. There's a lot of things you can say to your children, but they're watching you. And if you say something, but you're doing something else, education is good, but you never bother to go to conferences or to get more education, then they're kind of wondering whether education is good, right? So today when you go home, I hope that what you will do is that you'll say to your children, did you know that, and then tell them a fact. Did you know that, this and that. Give them a little bit about what you learned today. Even though you might think it's over their head, that's okay. They'll take some of that that grain of your knowledge away 
and they'll think, boy, getting educated, going to conferences, doing all those things, that's exciting. That's fun. You learn things at those conferences. You know, as I was thinking about what I wanted to talk to you about, one of the things that occurs to me is when I was growing up, the world has changed very much since that time. Not only because of the discriminatory practices, the fact that when I was graduating from high school, the dropout rate for Latinos was 80%. 80%. We were losing that many kids right out of high school. The college going rate in my generation was 4% for Latinos. Think about that. 4%. So very few people were going to higher education. And there were a lot of things we didn't have. We didn't have bilingual education. We didn't have a lot of the grants that are there now for people to go. We didn't have the opportunity for our young people to go to colleges away and to go to colleges abroad to study other places. We just didn't have a lot of those opportunities. Some of them were just beginning. And we didn't have them because of the circumstances. But one of the things that I see as one of the greatest changes is that now we are a global economy. Now we do everything on the scale of the world. And you know what? That's really good for you. Because one of the things that is valued in that world is the ability to speak more than one language. If your children maintain their bilingualism, they will have opportunities that other kids don't have. And it's interesting because right now if you see places like Alamo Heights, they have very much caught on to that and tried to make sure that their children learn Spanish in programs in Alamo Heights so that when they come out of high school, when they go on to college, they can continue that language and do business in the world that now speaks many languages. So one of the things that that skill brings you is a ticket, a ticket to continue higher education, to continue to work in business. And that's something that I hope all of you will continue to work towards. Uh, it can be bilingual education that you'll be hearing about today can be a key to a lot of good things for your children. And let me just tell you a little bit about mine. You know, my sons, Julian and Joaquin, when they were little and they were starting school, they started in Edgewood. And the first thing they did was put them into bilingual. Actually, they put Joaquin, because you know how they test the kids? And they decide, okay, you should go into bilingual ed. Well, then I had to come back as a parent and say, wait a minute, what are you saying? They're twins. How are you going to put one in bilingual and not the other one? I want to have my son Julian also in bilingual education. Well, I don't know how the programs are working exactly now, but what happened then is they saw bilingual education as just a means to get their language up a little bit better, and then they cut them out of bilingual ed. Then they tested them again. Okay, you're out now. And so within a couple of years that had happened, which was unfortunate for us because some of you may know later, in junior high, my sons decided they went into a multilingual program. Are any of you in, you have children in the multilingual program? Great, okay. Uh, which program? Well, 
only in the second grade, but could go in any grade. Fantastic. This multilingual program was at Tafoya Elementary near Lanier. And the program allowed kids to do a variety of languages. So my sons selected Japanese and German, <laughs> which they say now they can't remember a word of. So they took about three years of Japanese and German. And you know I could have forced them to take Spanish. But at that time, I thought, well, you know what? This is San Antonio. They're going to always hear it. And they know about the culture. We made my mother made sure of that, and I was making sure of that. So, you know, if they want to choose something different, it's not bad because they'll learn about different people. And who knows, somewhere in the future it might help. Well, they always like to blame me. They said, you know what? You should have made us take Spanish because, although they speak Spanish, I mean, they speak it not well, they know it, they understand it better than they speak it. They lost that ability to really do the kinds of things that some of your children will be able to do. In high school, my sons then went and took Latin. And one of the reasons for that is that you know that Latin has all the root words for Spanish and many other languages. And when you're tested for the ACTs and the ACT, that those tests that they give your kids to go to college to measure where they are, um, Latin helps a lot, as Spanish does because the vocabulary catches those kind of root words. But unfortunately, we didn't con you know, continue the bilingual education. And I'm here to tell you, and my sons will tell you the same, that was a mistake. Uh, because they could have really been able to be fluent in two languages. Since then, in college, uh, or after college, they went to Mexico, they've studied. And like I say, they can do all right, but they cannot be as fluid as many of you are. Let me tell you a little bit about our background and why I think bilingual education is so important. Today you're going to look at and celebrate your culture, celebrate your language, and celebrate your community. There was a time when a lot of that was not celebrated. And in our family, one of the things that happened was that around the time of the revolution, my mother and her sister, my mother was about six, her sister a couple of years younger, lost both of their parents. So the families in the, the United States, part of their families had said, we'll go ahead and take you in. The problem is they couldn't take them both. So from the very beginning, my mother and her sister were split up in two different households. Now. There's a book that's just been written by a young woman named Grande Reina. Have any of you had a chance to read that book yet? If you do, you might want to. It's called The Distance Between Us. And it's a really good writing about the fact that Reina, growing up in Mexico, her parents decided that they wanted something better for the kids because they had very little income. So they came to the United States without the kids. Should we the keynote speaker tomorrow morning? Oh, wonderful, wonderful. So you're going to get to hear Reina. That's great. But she really is able to talk about how much that hurt. You know, when we talk about immigration in this country, and there's a lot of talk about it, we don't really always see that side of it. It's what happens and the hurt, like my mother and her sister, so little losing their parents, coming here to a strange new place, and then not being able to be together. 
Uh, now, fortunately, as years passed, they were able to see each other and that kind of thing, but they were still that hurt. Despite everything, my mother, she went to about third grade, and as it turned out, they decided to pull her out of school. And so she never got any further education. Despite that, she learned, she taught herself to read and write in both English and Spanish. She took the little bit that she had learned from first to third grade to do the English, and she read all her life. And that Spanish she knew better than English, she kept learning to read and to write that. So in her own way, she educated herself. But unfortunately, she didn't have a formal education. And you know that in this city, or in any city, the formal education, those pieces of paper, are what everybody looks at. So the best she could do in terms of work was to be a maid, and she did that in Alamo Heights, to be a babysitter, to be a cook, and she did all those things so that I would be able to go to school. I went to Catholic school for 12 years at Little Flower, and then to go ahead and go on to college. Now, that's the story that my sons tell because it's a story of a lot of people that we know, a lot of people in our communities that don't always make it for themselves but have these hopes and aspirations for their families, and they figure out a way. You know, my sons and I always talk about there are two really important things in getting out of strategies and getting out of poverty. One of them is education. The other is hard work. And for us, it is the story of all our lives. It is because of my mother's hard work that, and them always saying, you're going to go to college. Oh, wait till you get to college. And what did I do with my sons? Wait till you get to college. I was lucky because I had friends throughout the country. And one of the things when they'd come home for Christmas, you know, they'd say, oh, well, what do you want? Oh, I'd say, bring me a T-shirt for them that has the, the name of the college, wherever you are. Uh, and I always, since they were little, if I could find t-shirts, I mean, there is whatever the t-shirt is of a college, there it is, because I wanted to make sure that they understood, you don't have an option, you're going to college. You know, that's what you're gonna do. Without saying, that's what you're gonna do. Because you know how it is when you say, oh, that's what you're gonna do, what happens? They say, oh, watch me, maybe not. I'll do whatever I want to do, because there's that, that time when they're very rebellious. Uh, but I found lots of different ways to try to ensure that they got the message. And just a couple of things that were really important for our families. One was the library. You know, I've been a big supporter of the library. I do work with Memorial Library. I think Francis has donated things for the library. And, and I do that because when I was young and didn't have a whole lot of money, and I had my two sons, I didn't have a husband, one of the things we had to do was figure out how do we have fun? That doesn't cost a whole lot. And so one of the things I would do is take them to the library. My mother would take them to the library. There were mobile libraries. We'd go to different libraries. Uh, and we, you know, libraries were like a rock concert. 
You know, libraries were it. Look what you could find at the libraries. You could find story hours. You could find books. You could find new friends. You could find now computers. All these wonderful things and new worlds at the library. And they bought it. And so to this day, they also support libraries. And if you look at the, the, the years that Julian has been in office, you will find that every year the library budget has increased just a little bit more. And every year they've added a new library, particularly on those sides of town that didn't have a library before. So, you know, we're committed, and, and that was back from childhood, and also from my early days, that was part of what I had for fun, because I didn't grow up uh, with a whole lot of money either, but I love to go to the library. So I hope a lot of you are doing that, that you're actually taking your kids to the library. The other thing that I think was really important for us is that we tried to make education fun, and I'm sure that you're doing the same thing. Since they're tiny, since they're beginning to learn to talk, you know, we, if you go on a bus, go somewhere, point to a sign and say, oh, McDonald's. After a while, they see the sign, whether they can read or not, they know McDonald's. And let's look at whatever the other one is. Always, if you make things fun, like people have the thing about, oh, that's a whatever car, Cadillac, that's a BMW, you know how kids do that? That's what we did all the time for education. Trying to always point out and make things fun and start from very little, talking with the kids in both languages. Just um, a couple of days ago, I'm forgetting right now because I, I took a group of 10 students from Palo Alto to um, Washington for the conference that Haku is doing. And you know, I was flying back and I, I, I swear I've never had a time when there were so many crying kids. They were behind me, in front of me and all this. So it was, Kind of annoying, but you know, I have a granddaughter who's three and a half, and we've flown with her. And, you know, they can kids do that; their ears hurt or whatever. But one of the things that I noticed from the parents, and maybe because I'm sensitive to it, that in comforting the kids, they really weren't talking to them much. And I thought, how odd. For me, one of the things that makes a child successful is their language development. And one of the things that helps a child not be afraid is especially the mother and the father's soothing voice, is talking to that child, asking them questions, trying to distract them from whatever you know, they're crying about. And I thought, hmm, I wonder. I mean, this is just one flight, so I can't make, you know, oh, it happens everywhere. But I thought, you know, with all the mechanical gadgets, because the dad was had his earplugs and had, you know, the computer, and I don't know what the mom was doing, but I thought with all these gadgets we have, we tend to take our attention away from our children a lot. And sometimes they're almost an annoyance. Don't bother me right now. I'm on the phone, don't you see? Don't bother me right now. I'm on the computer. And I think it's kind of sad. So one of the things that I would urge you with your kids is to be sure you're paying attention, to be sure you're talking with them, and really develop that language skill, because that's going to pay off in reading. It's going to pay off in so many other ways for the kids. You know, as my sons were growing up, there are a lot of things that I'm just going to mention one, uh, because as parents, you need to be out, watch out for. 
The good thing that if you're working with IDRA, you're probably learning a lot about a number of things in education. But one of the things you're gonna be learning too is how to be an advocate for your children. Okay, I'm not talking about, oh, my sons don't do that. I had incidents where my sons did silly things. So it's not about that. But an advocate for your children, if they come and tell you, mom, this and this is happening, and I think it's not right. You need to make sure that you explore. Are there any counselors or teachers here in the room? Great. Your very first and best partners are those teachers because they're with your children, and they are the people that you can go to for help. I hope you're always going to that day where teachers come and tell you about your children and how well they're doing. The counselors are another resource for you. But I can remember that when my sons were moving from elementary to junior high, I went to take them to Tafoya. Well, first we took them to um, Rhodes. And I know that it's not like that now, but at that time, I took them to Rhodes, and I was one of the few parents that was there. And I think you can ask teachers, and they will tell you they like parents who come around and say, how can I help my student? What can I do at home to help and reinforce the work that you're doing at school? So we're there in the auditorium, and the principal gets up. And the principal gets up, and he says, look around you. And it's a room bigger than this. It's an auditorium. Very few parents, lots of young kids just starting middle school. Why is middle school important? You know the statistic that the greater number of kids we lose usually happens in middle school. That's why Julian has tried to visit every middle school in town. But that's where we lose. The first loss is in middle school. And it's substantial. And he said, look around you. You see all these kids here? He says, only about 30% of you are going to make it to high school and graduate. That's what he said to all those chicanitos in the room. I got up out of my chair. I took my sons with me to the principal's office to, you know, admissions. And I said, I want to transfer my sons now. Because I didn't want anybody ever telling my sons that there was a 70% chance that they were not going to make it in this world. I didn't want ever for them to have the idea that they weren't good enough or that they were doomed. And then on top of that, they had a single parent. And you know what they say about single parents. I didn't want that attitude, and I didn't want folks. And he went on to say a couple of other things, more statistics. And I thought, well, maybe he didn't mean it the way I took it. But the way I took it was, you're already setting the stage. You already have a preconceived notion that my sons might not be able to make it. Well, I'll tell you what, my sons are going to make it. And I'm sure, thank you, and I'm sure that you feel the same way. But you've got to make sure that you back that up by doing PTA, by doing groups like this, by knowing their rights, by not only just knowing their rights, but making sure that you're helping them in every way you can to make it. And like I said, the way to make it is through that education. The way to make it is to find the resources, the people that can help you, to be partners with them. 
Don't ever feel afraid to go to a teacher. And if they can't speak your language, your child might be able to help with that or someone else will. Don't be afraid because they want to help you. You know, one of the things I told my sons since they were very little, because they used to say, why do people say to me, Mom, if you need anything, I'll be there, you know, just ask me, I'll help you. Do they really mean it? I said, yeah, they do. And you know why they do? Because people want other people to succeed. It doesn't do any good for us for people to fail. People want you to succeed. And when they say, I will help you, they mean it. So always, always, please, make sure you partner with those folks. Always, please, make sure that you stress the importance of education and that you remember in our culture throughout the years, we've been through a lot. Everybody's story is different, and yet we have similar stories. It's not been easy for many of us, but in the long run, if you set yourself a plan, if you know that you're going to work hard, if you know that you have education as a goal, kids are going to be able to make that transition. They're going to be able to go through those grades. And then when they start to get into high school, then you really start to look at what does it take to get to college. We have Cafe College. We have counselors. We have uh, Project Stay. Well, there's a lot of ways to get help. Does anybody have uh, high school folks that are almost ready for college? Mostly, okay, mostly have young kids. Okay, good. Great. And if you don't find help there, send them to Palo Alto. We'll always help, and we're not going to necessarily make you put the kid, your kid in there, but we can help you make sure you've charted the course for your child to go to college and to be successful. Don't be afraid by things that you hear on TV about there's not enough money, we can find the money. There are changes in financial aid. There are things that you need to be aware of. But I can guarantee you education is still the best way out of poverty, and it's still the best way not only to get a good job, but also to start your own company, to do all those things that are part of the American dream. So today you'll hear a great deal about bilingual education. And I want to thank you for listening to me for a little while and tell you that if there's ever any way that my sons or I can help, please let us know. Joaquin currently is a state representative. He is the vice chair of the Higher Education Committee in Austin. He's running for uh, Congress, so we'll know in November whether he won or not. Julian is, of course, the mayor. And one of the things he's done is made education his big push. The number one goal for him in his, right now, four years almost of being a mayor, and if he gets to serve some more years, the number one goal has been to pass the pre-K initiative so that the children, since they are small, since they are four years old, all children in San Antonio will have a chance to start with a good education. So... For myself, I work in the higher ed field. Uh, like I said, if there's anything that we can do or you just want to talk, you can always find me at Palo Alto College. There's a general number or you can look on our website and my number is listed there. So thank you once again and I hope you have a great day today. Uh, I'm sure that you will because you've got experts, uh, wonderful people who have worked a long time 
and are working now to put together the best possible conference for you. Enjoy Grande tomorrow. I think you will. And thanks again. Thank you. Thank you for listening to IDRA Class Notes. For more information on IDRA and other Class Notes topics, go to www.idra.org. You can also send us your thoughts by email to podcast at idra.org.